Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Good to be back. Welcome to The Beat. I am happy to be back with all of you. And tonight, we are tracking the new evidence that's putting heat on Donald Trump and raising questions about a possible second indictment of the former president. There he was at his first indictment, his New York arraignment. But now there's news of this damning tape that's put more focus on a different jurisdiction, on that federal probe in Washington, where Trump was caught on tape admitting key parts of a possible crime and stealing and hiding classified documents after leaving office. The tape is from after... He was in the White House 2021, and that's bad for him based on what he appears to admit, because prosecutors are already using it while gathering their grand jury testimony. And it's showing jurors how Trump himself admits and acknowledges on the tape that he had classified materials. This is a total breakthrough in the evidence in this case. Now, real talk, some people might say, "Okay, Ari, didn't we already know that Trump took those documents down to Mar-a-Lago and the feds seized them in that search and took them back. Didn't we know all that? Yes. But in court, to win a case like this, prosecutors basically must prove, one, the documents were classified. Two, Trump willfully took or directed action to take the documents. And three, he intended to keep or use classified documents. So just to walk through this, One is proven. That's why the feds took them back. And no court, by the way, has overruled that. Two is basically proven as well. Trump himself admitting he took all these documents. He hasn't exactly denied that part of the case. So three was kind of the last hurdle. You have to prove Trump's knowing culpability about the classified documents that, hey, yeah, I got. Yeah, I got this and it's classified. That kind of thing. So just to be as straightforward as possible, when you see Donald Trump admit something like this on tape, acknowledging on the tape it's classified, well, then we're almost kind of done here. Not legally. Indeed, even if charged, you'll hear people like me on your news station say he is legally presumed innocent. But with regard to the evidence, I'm saying colloquially, in plain English, This rounds out the case for special counsel Smith, as long as the accounts of this tape are accurate. And as we do around here, we are confirming the tape exists. It was played to grand jurors. Multiple outlets now have reported it, but we have not heard the tape. If we had the audio, of course, we would play it for you. But if this is accurate, each of those key planks of the case against Donald Trump would be quite strongly provable. That is the context, legally and otherwise, for why this week you've heard Just about everyone from prosecutors to a former Trump defense lawyer saying something to the effect of this tape basically makes the case game over. This is a huge piece of evidence uh, for the special counsel. It eviscerates the two defenses that Trump has put forward. Those are out the door now because he's admitted that he understood there were restraints on what he could do. 
with documents. This is evidentiary gold. Is just the last nail in a coffin that already has a whole lot of nails in it. This is game over. I think they have their foot on his neck. There is no way that he will not be charged. That's a pretty broad assessment from different experts right there, including, as we showed you, Trump's own lawyer. And there's only a small number of people who would have known before this broke out in public that Trump was privately admitting that part, which adds the evidence of criminal intent, as I walked through with you just now. Now, the group of people that would have already known about this would, of course, include the people in the room who heard it, like Trump aides, one of whom is reportedly the person who was asked about this tape, which she made during her grand jury appearance. Then there's the top lawyers. They are going to be more familiar with this stuff. They have attorney-client privilege. They have to deal with grand jury evidence. And some of Trump's lawyers even ended up in the unusual position of testifying to the grand jury themselves. And that's where this tapes bombshell, which has made so much news this week, overlaps with another development. The clashes and fights among Trump lawyers spilling into public. The top Trump lawyer recently resigning. Reports in several outlets that Trump lawyers are so concerned about one of their leaders, you may have heard about, Boris Epstein, that they threatened a group resignation, which they called a murder-suicide pact if one lawyer was fired while pushing for some changes to what was happening. Now, on the one hand, Trump has had many, many lawyer problems before. Lawyers turned witnesses like Michael Cohen. Lawyers turned public critics like the statement we just aired tonight from Ty Cobb. So to be precise, it wouldn't be true to say that every time Trump has a lawyer problem, he gets indicted or anything like that. He had him during the Mueller probe. And that case didn't bring him down legally or even lead to an impeachment. And he had two other impeachments besides that set of facts. But this time, these lawyers in this documents case are doing things that seem like they may be bracing for something else, something worse, an indictment. I say that not as a prediction, not as something to hope for, but just as an analysis of these facts as they come together. And it's actually pretty interesting now that we know a bit more about the tremendous heat in this case, because we know already one recently resigned. We know two of them requested a meeting with the attorney general himself and with all the documents that were discovered, and as I've said, proven according to the government to be classified, that was seen as a kind of a panic move or last ditch effort to perhaps try to delay, forestall or prevent a looming indictment. We also know several lawyers are trying to figure out how to make this novel defense that Trump could secretly and automatically, magically just declassify any document. If you have the authority to declassify, you're not wedded to any bureaucratic process. You would need to tell someone in the bureaucracy that you've done it. So who did he tell that he declassified? We are not trying our case leak by leak. Now, that defense sounds weak. For a number of reasons, it has no precedent. It also shows something that I've been emphasizing with you as we've walked through these facts tonight. It shows that the lawyers probably figured out, because they had the stuff we're learning in public earlier, they knew how bad the evidence was earlier on, and they had to then still develop some other types of arguments. They probably have figured out they need to focus on claiming the documents are not classified and not contraband because... They don't have any other defenses. They can't prove there were no documents on site. I just showed you some on the screen. They can't try to argue it was some honest misunderstanding where Trump didn't knowingly try to take them because he himself has been admitting that. And that's why so many legal experts have been focused on the one thing they have been saying, 
but panning this sort of secret declassification defense. These statements, quite frankly, are very, very damaging to him. Check your privilege, or he takes on a whole new meaning with this guy. And these are clearly classified documents. They're marked classified. They belong to the U.S. government. Thinking it in his head to declassify it, that would be an obscenely reckless way to handle declassification because no one else would know. It doesn't change the fundamental argument, the other argument, that these documents are not his. Yeah. I mean, just to be real, this is one of those what are we even talking about here kind of moments. Trump's lawyers have been making this extreme and novel set of arguments, and that extremism is becoming a little more understandable now that we're learning about all the damning evidence which they would have already known about. The feds have the docs. They have the witnesses. They have Trump's own public admissions. And so Trump's lawyers are left in this corner. They can't deny the act or argue that Trump was out of the loop like someone who just sort of argues, hey, I let the movers pack the U-Haul. I didn't realize what they loaded. It's a big house. That is the kind of argument you can make if the U-Haul is filled with contraband or stolen material. And you say, hey, I didn't physically pack it. I I hired some people. Well, there's no U-Haul defense left when Donald Trump admits to taking the stuff. So the lawyers now are doing something that, again, it, it's actually kind of interesting at a minimum, but also maybe very relevant if this is a federal trial. They're doing something that lawyers do, but that you only do as a kind of last resort. They have to argue that even if the government, in fact, classified these documents and deems them stolen, and even if Trump said on tape they were classified, which is part of what I just showed you tonight and why the tape is so damning, they now, the lawyers have to make this sort of Cheshire Cat defense that Yeah, the government, which is the authority, says it's classified. Yeah, Trump said it was classified, but maybe they were just magically not classified. This is an argument that is deep, deep Alice in Wonderland territory. I mean, this is like you have to disagree with all the governing authority and the president and your own client who could become a defendant, as he currently already is in New York, and say, I know you heard this, that and the other, but just just listen to the grinning cat. And just go into that kind of soft psychological or psychedelic hypnosis and pretend everything is upside down. You can't even say believe Trump. You have to say don't believe Trump because when he said and acknowledged on tape it was classified, he was also wrong because he had forgotten or not realized or not remembered that you can magically declassify anything without even saying so. It's a type of defense. By the way, they are entitled to make it. But how long would you have to spend in Alice in Wonderland or on the things people use over there to find that at all believable? That is the legal question that is kind of sitting here. It has public perception of political components, but it is fundamentally, as all legal questions are supposed to be, about the truth and the evidence. We're going to go through it with the perfect guests to break this down on both counts. Former prosecutor Joyce Vance, former RNC chair Michael Steele. We're back together in just 60 seconds. We are back on that smoking gun tape news with Joyce Vance and Michael Steele. Uh, Joyce, what do you see here in the value of the tape evidence and whether it sheds any light on why we've heard such outlandish arguments from the Trump legal team? So I think that the tape evidence is important, Ari, but it's important in this sense. It sits at the top of a mountain 
of evidence. There have been a number of points in this investigation when people have looked at this case and said, this is a case that will be indicted. I think the most important threshold was when we realized that it wasn't just a former president who had retained classified information, national defense information, and refused to turn it over when Nera um, made a polite knock on his front door. It was a former president who didn't turn it over and forced DOJ to go and get a search warrant to reclaim the government's property. That seemed like the break point. What we're hearing now is evidence that becomes icing on the cake. And I think it leads us to speculate, you know, where will this case be indicted? How serious will the charges be? What sorts of classified information will DOJ be able to convince the intelligence community to let it use as evidence as trial? But it seems to me that we are at the point where it's essentially a <coughs> foregone conclusion that Trump will be indicted, both for you know some species of retention of this information and also for obstruction of the investigation. Yeah, and pardon me for coughing during your incisive legal analysis. I hope everyone heard what you said. Um, but as to the tape, if he says on tape, uh, Joyce, that he acknowledges it's classified, Obviously, that's going to be an issue uh, if they have to then argue, as I showed, the opposite. No, this has all been magically declassified. Right. I think that that tape recording, it's great evidence for the prosecution for a number of reasons. As you point out, it helps to establish knowledge and willfulness. It also is always helpful when a jury hears a confession out of a defendant's own mouth. And this is, in, in essence, confessory. This is Trump saying, yes, I had classified material after I was in the White House. And it could form an additional substantive count. But I think you're right to focus on what it shows Trump knew, when he knew it, and how it obliterates the, the series of defenses they've offered Typically, defendants, when they feel like they're at serious risk, will start throwing spaghetti on the wall to see if anything will stick. And I think, hmm. unfortunately for the former president, there's not a lot here that sticks. We showed his former lawyer, Ty Cobb. Here's a little bit more of what he had to say. I'd be telling Trump that he's dead. Uh, he needs to, you know, he needs to see what he can work out. You know, what might be a uh, reasonable resolution um, um, with with certain admissions uh, by him. I know for a fact that will never happen. Uh, Trump is not capable of being accountable. He believes he can win uh, and he will never, ever admit guilt. Michael, with lawyers like these, uh, obviously that's not the most positive rendering. He's a former lawyer to the president. Uh, your thoughts on all of this? You know, my, my takeaway um, it, it, in light of Joyce's uh, precise uh, analysis there um, on, on the legal side of it, politically and otherwise, I always get the impression, John, when it comes to his lawyer, lawyers, Donald Trump just kind of says, work it out. <laughs> You know, it's like, OK, guys, go go figure it out. You know, meanwhile, I'm just going to go continue doing what I'm doing. I'm going to go talk about the case. So judges have to say you can't talk about the case. I'm going to, you know, have these conversations uh, that where, yeah, I'm going to admit I did certain things like he did on CNN. It's like, yeah, I may have let somebody look at these documents, but I could do that. And you all from from the lawyer's perspective, it's always one of those kind of gripping your your teeth and uh, the desk and anything you can hold on to 
uh, to sort of get through the next piece of this. And it's always from Trump's perspective, that's not my problem. You go work it out. I mean, and that's basically yeah, me, what his lawyer well, just let me said ask in you that clip. About that, because you've run the RNC, you've dealt with a lot of different politicians. Uh, there's a spectrum of ego. Uh, there's plenty of ego to go around. Right. Um, but Trump seems to be at a different extreme level. And when you look at the, for example, ego in uh, trials that have been compared of, of mafia bosses, crime families, um, one of the standard defenses is to say, I didn't know about that. I was out of the loop or out of control. I mentioned the U-Haul defense, which is a pretty good one. If you can get right. a, enough complicated distance where you say, what, what do you think? I was moving the boxes. What do you think? I was at, standing outside the U-Haul watching them get unloaded. Um, that's, that's something lawyers gravitate to in many cases, w ones that are less important than this. But that would involve, Michael, uh, Donald Trump being able to say, whether he believes it or not, being able to, to say nothing or say that he was out of control, that he was not in charge of this, that things just went on. And he seems right. almost constitutionally unable to do that in public. And he's now a candidate for office where these issues come up. Uh, and that has, as Joyce reminded us, completely undercut the lawyer's ability to make what otherwise might be at least plausible arguments, which is their job, right, to make plausible defense arguments right. like he wasn't in charge of that. But he says he's in charge of everything. Well, that's that's the makeup of his psychopathy. He That is totally him. He, he, you touched on the two things he can't do. One, hold himself accountable and just kind of say, I didn't I didn't do that or I didn't know about that. Um, and two, uh, not be in control. Uh, he has to be in everything and he has to control everything. Um, that's why, you know, back when we're doing the Mueller uh, storylines and, and the other narratives that we're beginning to develop, you know, I, I'm sitting here and, you know, listening to Michael Cohen and listening to others and. Um, you know, I'm like, why isn't anybody paying attention to what Michael Cohen's telling you? This guy is in everything he does. And I saw it myself firsthand back in 2013, just watching him up at, at Trump Tower. He knows everything that happens around him because that's his control freak nature. So that makes it doubly difficult for lawyers to then try to defense a case on his behalf because he, A, doesn't want to give over that control, and B, he damn sure doesn't want them to put them in a position where he is the least bit accountable for something. So even if he could get him out of trouble, he will not lean into that moment and take, that, take on that bit of accountability because he doesn't want to be wrong. He thinks he's always right. He thinks everyone around him is wrong and doesn't get it. And he fundamentally believes you can't touch this. And then until someone deliberate, touches it, deliberate which the hammer DA reference? in New York did. Deliberate or accidental? What was that? Was that a deliberate MC Hammer reference or was it accidental? That was a deliberate MC Hammer okay. reference, yes, because we're getting close to the weekend. Well, look, I want to keep it moving. I'll do my second Hammer reference visually. Uh, those who there know, know. Joyce, yep. uh, it, sum it all up for us, uh, Joyce. When we see your colleagues, who I know you hold in high regard, and others start talking about definite game over. I showed that uh, careful listeners will note I did not necessarily affirm or endorse that. Uh, MSNBC and NBC News don't have reporting to that effect. I want to distinguish when we have reports versus analysis. We have analysts and experienced people, Joyce, who are basically saying they see this as a definite. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you want to weigh in on that or are we getting ahead of ourselves because the nature of the Smith process is still a special counsel probe that's different than a normal 
the normal probes where even if he wants to move forward and indict, he would still have to get Attorney General Garland to sign off on that. Um, and we don't we don't know what would happen there. So I'm curious if you want to give us a, a summation on all of that. I think a fair read on this is that there's an increasing consensus that Trump will be indicted in connection with Mar-a-Lago. And one of the most important reasons for that conclusion is that he's within DOJ precedent for when you indict these cases. Mm. You know, just because you indict someone doesn't mean that you get a conviction. All sorts of things can come up. But the attorney general is on record as saying that he defers to decisions that are made by the folks that are handling cases and that that's what he intends to do with these special counsel matters. Unless somebody comes to him with a result that's just so far out of the the mainstream of how DOJ would conduct itself, he's going to consider himself very heavily influenced by the prosecutors who are working the case, who know know it best, and their assessment of the facts and of the law and of DOJ precedent and an analysis of potential defenses, I do not think we will see this attorney general countermand a decision that's made by the special counsel, whatever it is. Very interesting. And you've been in similar positions as a, a chief U.S. attorney. You run the whole office. Um, sometimes things go up to the DAG or the AG, but you're talking about, again, that's a, a rarefied error you, you and others have been in, um, saying that you don't, you don't think it would be overruled, that, that Smith will come in with where, where this grand jury testimony leads right now. Certainly, uh, it's been bad for Trump based on what, what we've seen. Uh, Joyce and Michael, thanks to both of you. Thanks, Ari. Absolutely. Uh, I'm thrilled to be back with everyone. And we have a lot of special stuff tonight, including this so-called censorship or culture war. And we're going to get into that with a very special guest. The New Yorker's David Remnick is here with his new book. You may remember he did Jan 6. He's done Putin. Uh, He is my special guest tonight. We're excited about that. But first, we have powerful new evidence that relates to Trump and that other indictment I'm talking about. We have a vet at the very highest levels. Next. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. I was playing in my mind, what should my response be? And that's why I very carefully chose the words. And look, I, I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. If this reporting is true, and I, I'm trying not to use hyperbole, this is game over. Um, there's no way that he will not be charged. James Comey memorably testifying about welcoming the existence of tapes, which would prove what 
in that case, Donald Trump said. And then there you heard another DOJ vet weighing in on these new tapes that have upended everything this week. James Comey has served in many key posts, heading the famed Southern District of New York, along with some other big shots you see there. Comey also rose to deputy attorney general under Bush, then was tapped by President Obama as FBI director in 2013, the role in public service that he is most known for. And James Comey is our live special guest tonight. He is now out with a new novel, his first, Central Park West. Uh, Mr. Comey, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be with you, Ari. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. We will get to the novel, um, but you are known for many things, including, as I reminded the audience, uh, a long tenure in government, although your last post was, was what you were mem- remembered by, for, by so many. Looking at the documents case, um, do you think it is the strongest against Donald Trump right now? And what do you think of this reported tape evidence? I do think it's the strongest case against him. It's the greatest legal jeopardy that he faces. I think it's more likely than not that he'll be charged. I think this, if this reporting is accurate as it seems to be, I think that raises the percentage chance of him being indicted. I wouldn't go quite so far as others because Mm -hmm. I've been on the inside of these investigations and we can't see what Jack Smith sees, but it's a, this is the strongest case against Trump I've seen so far. Based on the available evidence, do you, do you think it would be valid to indict him and a, and a good idea? It looks like the evidence is there. Donald Trump normally, his superpower is surrounding himself with an asteroid belt of confusion and contradiction and sometimes inculpatory statements, sometimes exculpatory. But this seems like a clean shot through the asteroid belt. And so I think this raises the significance of the case. The possibility of indictment goes much higher. But I can't say, because I can't see what Jack Smith can see, and no one else can, because he's done it like a pro. All of the reporting is coming from echoes or shadows on the wall. I don't know what's inside that investigation. Understood. Appreciate the, the sort of precision there. You know, previously you had said publicly you didn't think indicting Trump uh, was a good idea because of what it would put the country through. Um, that was notable because, as everyone remembers, you have clashed with him on, on matters of substance, rule of law. Um, do you sort of view that differently now um, or do you feel the same way? No, I see it differently now. This conduct takes place entirely post-presidency. It is clear, if the facts are as I understand them to be, it is clear violation of really important laws. And it is something that can't be let go if the facts are there while still vindicating the rule of law. The rule of law would require, if the evidence is there, this case be pursued. Understood. Uh, An interesting sort of get that update. I want to ask you about Attorney General Garland. Um, You know, a lot of us, we cover these individuals, uh, but learning about them in your professional life, dealing with judges, dealing with different individuals, you have a a real closeness to it. Um, Here's some of what he said about specifically the insurrection of Jan 6 probe. The only pressure I feel and the only pressure that our line prosecutors feel is to do the right thing. That means we follow the facts and the law wherever they may lead. Now, that's what we typically hear from people in those positions. I want to remind folks, you know this, but remind everyone that when you appoint a special counsel, there's actually authorization, there are boundaries. Um, When Garland appointed Smith with regard to the Jan 6 probe, uh, they made a point of basically saying Maine Justice was going to handle, as you know, those physically present at the Capitol. And we've seen great progress in those cases. Uh, And then... Smith looks at those who violated the law by interfering with the lawful transfer of power 
and who were not physically present. That means if they find anyone led or directed this. Um, when you look at those people that at least, according to the Jan 6 committee and others, have been at least reviewed, you have Trump, uh, Chief of Staff Meadows, uh, Giuliani, who's faced some legal sanction in, in the bar process, but not criminal, uh, Mr. Eastman, Mr. Clark, uh, uh, Clark, as you know, is at DOJ. Um, how do you think we should assess that part of the probe uh, where no off-site planners have yet been indicted? Um, and does that mean they're not culpable and that's okay or it will take longer? What do you think? Again, I can't say for sure, but I, my guess is their challenge is proving criminal intent, especially with respect to Trump. Again, because he's surrounded by that protective belt of weird, contradictory statements. He can point to, even though he's talking to some pillow guy, some pillow guy telling him something that he would then say, oh, I believed this. And so proving his state of mind is difficult in any circumstance, but especially hard with January 6th. So it doesn't surprise me that case hasn't moved forward. And I would doubt that there'll be charges, at least as against Trump. Would you doubt any White House officials would be charged for, for substantive acts related to the insurrection? Uh, more likely than with Trump, but still a very steep hill to climb, again, to prove that they were acting with criminal intent when there were, although I think them as weird, crazy, unreliable people, those people were in the Oval Office saying things that they can now say, oh, I believe that to be true, so I wasn't acting with the appropriate criminal intent. Interesting uh, to get your your analysis there. And uh, viewers who happen to watch the whole program tonight will notice, you know, in the top story, we were talking about how that tape adds to intent because it's from his mouth. And you're, you're reminding folks that if someone uh, doesn't have sort of the requisite or contemporaneous intent provable, the fact that there was this horrific thing at the Capitol and others charged for it is still an issue. Um, you have your, your novel out. It's a different uh, role for you here post uh, government service. Um, I want to read from a character who uh, I believe you uh, at least partly based on someone who actually replaced you uh, at that famed uh, district, SDNY, who's been on this program, among others. I've also mentioned, full disclosure, my former boss, David Kelly. And you write that this Parker character, quote, reading from Comey, the novelist, looked tired, uh, but only his comb-backed silver hair betrayed his 60 years. The rest of his six-foot-two frame was toned by hours on a Peloton bike and in the pool, and somehow... His skin was smooth and blue eyes unclouded. Uh, we'd love to use that as a launch point into Mr. Kelly, who our viewers are familiar with, uh, and, and how you use some facts into fiction here. Well, your viewers will recognize that a handsome curmudgeon <laughs> with a heart of gold, <clears throat> who's also an excellent lawyer. I, the character Matty Parker in this novel is based on Dave. Dave's one of the people I love and admire most in the world, and so it was a great joy to sort of bring him into the novel. He's a better lawyer than Matty Parker, but at least his wife tells me that I got it uh, in a lot of respects. I think, your view, I think your viewers will agree as well. And, and with poetic license, which is something that actually interests us here uh, on the program, uh, how much of what you wrote was stuff you've lived or learned and then stylized, and how much of it was what we might call imagination? I mean, if you imagine a a uh, nuclear war threat that you perhaps didn't live through. What, 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 what portion would you say? Yeah, it's, I tried to make it the realest fiction that people will read. It's a f book of fiction, but it's based on real experiences I had, real witnesses I had, real mobsters who were killed while I was prosecuting them. I try to bring the reader inside the SDNY and show what it's like on the inside with some freedom because it's a fiction novel, but you will get a real good look at those institutions from this book. Yeah, really interesting. Do you see more fiction in your future? 
yes, this is what I want to do when I grow up. I, I can't be Dave Kelly, so I'd like to be a novelist. I've already written the second one. I worked at the world's largest hedge fund for three years. And so my protagonist, who's a woman, a federal prosecutor, is going to move to that environment. And there'll be another crime novel set in that uh, in that setting. I think it'll be also interesting for folks. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting to get you at this point in time and on these cases. Uh, as I mentioned, you're known for many things. Viewers who want to see us go back and forth on the handling of prior cases, uh, including the Clinton case, can find that on YouTube. We, we have done that before. Um, but drawing on all your experiences, including the new one, it's great to have you back, Mr. Comey. Yeah, I appreciate what you do, Ari. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Uh, James Comey, and that is the book. And we have a lot more coming up, including as we look at music and these culture wars, the New Yorkers, David Remnick, who had that big January 6th book. That was the last time he was here. Now he's turning to a wider look at protest anthems. We're excited about that. And something special about Pride Month when we come back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Everyone is welcome here in Massachusetts. Everyone is seen in Massachusetts. Everyone is heard in Massachusetts. Governor Mara Haley there kicking off Pride Month, which celebrates LGBTQ plus communities. Now, there are places like Connecticut and California where capitals are flying the pride flag as a mode of support. There's also been this wave of attacks targeting the people in these very communities. The ACLU notes that there's been about 500 bills across the country, which range from trying to take away rights that the Supreme Court has recognized, like the right of people to get married regardless of gender, to restricting restroom access, to attacks and crackdowns on the rights of people who are trans. Now, this has become one of these so-called culture war issues on the right, and there's been a lot of stunts and performative virtue signaling, if you want to call it that. Then you have companies that are being sort of drawn into this. Bud Light and Chick-fil-A faced boycotts because they had pride-related ads and diversity initiatives, which largely were seen as showing support for people, for equal rights. Target and Lego were attacked. Target then removed some pride merchandise because of political attacks. Then there's Fox News, which has a policy that allows employees to use bathrooms that align with their gender identity. Call that liberty if you want, but a lot of hypocrisy when you watch how that is covered on the same channel and workplace. So that is an update on those issues. Coming up, something I mentioned. We have the New Yorker's David Remnick here. He was last here for his January 6th reporting and writing. He is back to talk about the whole wave of protest anthems and what we can learn. Very excited about this, and it's next. 
The big political news for Republicans is Ron DeSantis launching that presidential bid. He claims he's now running to Donald Trump's right on issues from COVID to censorship, a recurring impulse in politics, which rarely proves popular in the long run. It shows why there are, however, more instances of these crackdowns in America on learning history, on books, culture, freedom of thought. This is not new. It is a kind of a reboot or regurgitation of politics around censorship and government control. And the Harvard-educated DeSantis knows that well. Politicians and governments try to censor and silence opposing views. We've seen that across history, especially silencing those who advocate more rights or new ideas. The Orwellian habit here is for those very politicians to claim they're for freedom or freedom of speech while they are the censors. And it is usually the writers and the artists who are deemed dangerous because they are the ones who offer hope or inspire change or stand up to power, especially when they draw on the influence and audiences available to those who prove popular in our culture. Music, so often at the forefront here from the Vietnam era to the civil rights movement, which brings us to our next guest. Joining me now is the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, author, and longtime editor of the famed New Yorker magazine, David Remnick, who has a brand new book among all his other work and pursuits, and it is an important one, Holding the Note, Profiles in Popular Music. Uh, David, I think viewers will understand, we always love to get you on the table, and I couldn't get more thrilled or excited about this topic with you. So thank you for being thank here. Thank you. It's a delight to be here with the most music knowledgeable guy on the air that I can imagine. Okay. Since Walter Cronkite. Wow. Well, you don't have to, that, thank you. You don't have to say that, but, but you're here because, and this is the big question, you know so many things. We've talked about your foreign reporting, and you were last on this program with the January 6th topic, and the New Yorker covers many things. Yeah. Why is that your view to do this right now? The music that you grow up on, between, to pick random ages from 15 to 25, something like that, 30, even 30, that embeds in you in a way that nothing else does. Let's take an old record off the shelf. Sure. If I may. Uh, respect. Mm-hmm. Natural woman. Yeah. Uh, what you describe as a reawakening. Let's listen to Aretha. Sure. Uh, we saw Carol King jamming out there. You write, what distinguishes Aretha is not merely the breadth of her catalog or the force of her vocal instrument. It's her musical intelligence, her way of spraying a wash of notes over a single word or syllable. Respect is as precise an artifact as a Ming haze. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that performance is at the Kennedy Center. Mm-hmm. That is official a concert as you can get. And yet, she brought it like she was in church in mm. Detroit or in a nightclub in Chicago. And when, when Aretha sang this song on the St- Kennedy Center stage in front of official Washington, in front of Obama, um, um, she was suffering. You know, she was coming to the end of her life. She was much sicker than anybody knew. Mm. 
And yet she did this thing where she stands up in that mink coat and suddenly the mink coat drops to the floor like, you know, Mahalia Jackson used to do. Uh, and if you didn't feel the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, then you are dead in your chair. Mm. That was just an amazing, amazing performance. It, I just, you know, tears running down my face yeah. like a baby. I was thinking about how we know you from journalism in The New Yorker. The, everyone says first draft of history, that's journalism. Uh, and how so much music is the first draft for at least the people who are clued into it. So sometimes that's younger people, sometimes it's intergenerational. Yeah. Um, we know that with social change. Uh, we know that with sometimes marginalized artists in America. You write about, you choose to write about Mavis Staples mm. and the Staples Singers. Um, one of many civil rights anthems that I believe take on a hue later mm -hmm. that they didn't always have for at least all of America and white American-led institutions right. at the time. Let's take a listen to Long Walk to D.C. Mm -hmm. It's a long walk to D.C. But I got my walking shoes on. All the way to Washington. I can't take a plane, pass a train, cause my money ain't that long. That we can cry or mourn or fight, but also mm. share something that feels good, that gathers people together, that those aren't always in tension, right? And you write that the Staples singers were doing message songs. The lyrics got more insistently political, as important to the civil rights movement as a change is going to come. A commitment, you write, that Staples would go on upholding, and she admires the current crop of rappers whose music is saturated with politics and gospel, from Chance to Kendrick. Uh, explain that to us and how you wrote that profile story. So Mavis Staples was a kid. Mavis Staples was a kid in the Staples Singers. It was a, it was a group, an ensemble led by her dad, Pop Staples, who had grown up in the Mississippi Delta in the same area as Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and, and so on. And their musical career typically begins in church, in church. So the, the tradition of spirituals and work songs and, 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 and gospel gets meshed with soul, just like with Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, all these people begin in church. Little Richard begins in church. And then different kinds of messages, different kinds of appeals, if not to God, then to Washington, uh, becomes part of their lives. That was part of the experience of the civil rights uh, movement, uh, just as in Black Lives Matter and, and, and important political movements today um, are, have soundtracks themselves. Kendrick Lamar's recent work. Um, is, is integral to our understanding of the, of the spirit of what's going on now. When you look out today, um, how do you feel about this very different era we're in? What do you think of the contrast from that to so many of these great artists it, it, you it, mentioned? It's really difficult, I think, to, to emerge and have the big career. It's really hard. Mm. I think Taylor Swift's career, she's, right now she's touring through New York and, and she's selling out stadiums and playing 35, 40 song set lists. I mm. mean, it's, it's incredibly impressive and it means a lot to the people to whom it means a lot. But that is a very, very, very rare thing. Not only is the talent rare, it's very rare to get absorbed as albums. It's very hard to break through in the Spotify universe. And as your book, I think, reminds us, um, we're indebted to so many of these artists um, for how they enrich our lives and our communities, but also sometimes how they make us think and affect the, the shared life, politics, social change. Now I'm going to do, we don't do this for every book. I'm just being real. You know, I keep it real. <laughs> but I'm going to do it for this book. I'm going to hold it up and say, holding the note, profiles in popular music, 
Go get this wherever you get your books, from an independent bookseller or whatever big retailer. That's your choice. Uh, but it is recommended. And we thank David Remnick for coming by. Bless you, Ari. Thank you so much. Today, we kicked off the show with all the news about this smoking gun tape in the documents case for Donald Trump. We heard from James Comey, among others. And tomorrow, we will hear directly from a lawyer who worked on that case, lawyer who was in the news, Tim Parlatori, who recently left that legal team, but until a few weeks ago was representing Trump in that very matter. He will be my guest live tomorrow. I encourage you to come back and join us. Should be interesting. That does it for us tonight. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.